Why would we bother to go back to a book that was written 2,600 years ago? The Bible itself will turn you atheists faster than anything. When you take the scriptures disclosed over centuries, 40 different writers, 66 books, and you see the prophetic schema, immediately you see the supernatural. This is madness. This is madness. Who can believe this? I believe in God on the basis of rational evidence. Faith and reason are not contrary to each other. Science doesn't know everything. That is still no grounds for saying, oh well, magic did it. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everybody here today. So good to have you with us. And uh, uh, man, you got some smiling faces. I've seen some. Y'all just look good. You know, for being, you know, it's going to get 100 degrees again today, I think. So we'll keep talking about the weather around here. But anyway, uh, but God is good. Hey, I want to say uh, good morning out to our Stone Canyon and Vertigo's campus. I can see your smiling faces out there too. Not really, but I know they're there by faith. Um, but anyway, we're glad to have you with us as well. And if you're online with us, uh, good to have you uh, with us, okay? Hey, we did have a fantastic week at Youthquake. Uh, it was uh, awesome, not just because the weather was in the 70s and everything, but God did some incredible uh, work in the mountains, and uh, several were baptized into Christ, and others making decisions in their in their faith journey, and, and man, it was just, it was good, and uh, so, uh, man, thank you for all of you who were praying and, and uh, thinking about us while we were out there, and, and uh, man, it was just awesome. So, uh, so anyway, hey, uh, let's uh, get going here in this series we've been uh, in over the last several uh, weeks called Think. Uh, hopefully you've been here for all of it. If you missed any of them, man, I hope you'll go back and uh, check them out. Last week, uh, Gerald Griffin from from Ozark came and spoke, and man, I got to got to watch that this week. And man, he uh, I, I think he knocked it out of the park. And so uh, I really wish I just would have had him come back this week too and do it again because. I'm tired. <laughs> I told Steph last night, I was like, okay, note to self, don't preach the Sunday after you get back from Youthquake. You're just an idiot. I mean, what you... back when I was in youth ministry and I was young, I could do it, but I'm old, all right? This just doesn't work. But anyway, we're going to try, all right? So anyway, uh, in this series, uh, if you've missed any of them, I hope that you'll uh, catch, up with, uh, catch up with us and uh, check them out. Um, you know, some people have asked, well, why do we do a series like this? You know, uh, why would we want to try to delve into some of the topics that we're going to talk about? Because there's so much controversy around so much of this. And, and, you know, one of the reasons is this, is that so many people have left the church or walked out on their faith because they've come to a place to believe that it is intellectual suicide to, to try to reason with Scripture, with this old book and, and that was written so long ago, and they've, they've kind of given in to some of the things that are said out there about uh, this world and this universe we're in. And so they've, been, they've, they've bought into that and they've walked away from it. And so one of the things that kind of drives this type of a message is just kind of this is, Give it another shot, okay? Maybe you're here for, uh, you know, I don't know why God brought you here, and you're listening to this, you're watching this, and, and, and you're just like, okay, you know, let's try it again. I, and I'd say, yes, give it another shot. Don't, don't just check out, but, but think about it on your own. Investigate these things that we've been talking about, the truth of God's Word and what we're going to be talking about today, the, the science and faith, do they, do they get along? 
As believers, uh, uh, here, here's another thing, I, I, and I kind of said this uh, earlier in the series, is that as believers, we need to use our brain, okay? Uh, we're not, we don't expect you just to check your brain at the door and, and just assume everything that you hear uh, from the stage is true. We want you to investigate God's Word. We want you to investigate uh, the, the things that are being said out in this world. Don't just, don't just assume that everything you hear is true. I mean, how many of you all get online and read things and go, really? And do you believe everything you read online? I mean, I hope not because there's some crazy stuff out there. Think. We've got to use our brains. So this week we're going to wrap up this whole series, kind of put a bow on it by talking about this topic of science and faith. Do they get along? Are they compatible? You saw it in the sermon bump, uh, one of the statistics that it throws out there is that 59% of people in America believe that they are incompatible, that they don't get along. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let, let's start off by just asking this question, is what is science? If we put a definition to it, it's, it's this. It is the state of knowing, a system or method reconciling practical ends with scientific laws. It's this search for knowledge. It's this search for understanding this world and even this universe, everything that's in existence, that's science. And Utilizing the scientific method, trying to figure those things out. Science expresses the universe in five, five uh, terms, time, space, matter, power, and motion. Let me read you Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, time, God created power, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering motion over the face of the waters. You see, as followers of Jesus, if that's you, if you're in that camp with us, if you're part of our tribe of, as a follower of Christ, we believe in the God of creation. The God that created all things that are knowable, that, that scientists are striving to understand and know. He created it. We follow Him and worship Him. Therefore, there should be no problem for us as followers of Christ to want to know science, to, to come alongside of, of science, to embrace science. And have that desire to know more about this earth and this universe. If you have this worldview that we have. Because it's really the study of God's creation. I always uh, loved whenever we had Discovery Channel. I'm a, a bad dad and we got rid of cable and satellite and everything. But anyway, um, that's enough about that. But when we watched, we used to watch a lot of those shows that were kind of unfolding all the beautiful things of this world, documentaries on different things on this earth. And of course, they spoke in evolutionary terms and millions of billions of years, but I couldn't help but just to think, 
wow, God. And, and as my kids grew up in that watching those things, even their kids' shows that they would watch when they were little that would talk about millions and billions of years, I would always try to focus them back to, well, you, you know that God created all. Yeah, we know, Dad. Well, okay, just want to make sure. You know it didn't take millions and billions of years. Yeah, yeah, we know, Dad. Okay, just, just want to make sure. And from the time they were little, I wanted to make sure that they saw our God in all of creation. You see, many who find themselves in this debate, if we want to call it a debate, and, and there's been plenty of debates over this, um, want to look at the Bible as a, uh, as a textbook. And specifically what we're talking about today, they want to look at it as a scientific textbook. And so they sometimes believe, and this is on both sides of the camp, um, they, they want to dig in and they want to, they think the Bible ought to back up everything that they, they, that they believe and, and should speak to all things in nature and creation, but it's not all there. But even though it's not a scientific textbook, everything that it says about this world and the knowable world has been proven, keeps being proven accurate. It's not a historical textbook either, but as we talked about a few weeks ago, over and over again, it continues to be validated historically by archaeology and other uh, historical findings. It's a book we can trust, and we follow a God we can trust that I believe can come right along with science. Science can help us discover more about our God in this world, this universe that he has created. Now, here, here's the thing. Well, we've got about 30 more minutes here, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to unpack every topic and answer every question that you might have about science and faith. <laughs> I mean, guys, a whole lot smarter than me a whole lot smarter than me, <laughs> debate this stuff back and forth and cannot convince others one way or the other. I don't, I, I don't pretend to be able to get up here and, and awe you with great knowledge and, and, and uh, uh, make you believe one way or the other, but what I hope happens is that I can challenge you to think, to investigate, to listen to the right voices, and discover what God desires for you to know. So let's, real quick, um, talk about the Bible for just a second and some of the things that we find in the Bible that um, are scientific. Um, because some people just want to totally write off the Bible and say there's nothing scientific in the Bible. Uh, there's nothing in there that, that uh, uh, applies to this world, the, the physical aspects of this world that we're in today. But, but I think there are a number of things, a number of scientific topics that we can find in there. Let me just kind of run through a few of these. Um, paleontology. 
the study of uh, animals and plant fossils. Um, this would include dinosaurs. Okay, let's just jump right into that one, you know, because that's a question a lot of people come up with. Well, where are the dinosaurs in the Bible, you know? And, and uh, some on our side, if we want to call it our side, uh, again, I'm not doing this to create a greater conflict between sides and us and the world, and we're going to get all of our knowledge built up so we're going to go beat them over the head with it. No, um, but um, some followers of God have gone so far as I say, well, dinosaurs are all a hoax. <laughs> okay, that's not being intellectually honest, all right, because the fossil records show dinosaurs were real, okay? Now, now on the other side, some have even gone as far to say they still exist and they're out there, okay? Uh, in the Amazon rainforest, they're still lurking back there. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> if they are, it destroys evolutionary theory <laughs> because they should have been gone millions of years ago. Um, but whatever the case, um, dinosaurs, are they in the Bible? And of course, we run over to uh, Job chapter 40, Job being believed to be the oldest book in our Bible, and he talks about what was known as the behemoth. When uh, there in Job 40 verse 15 following, it says, Behold, behemoth! Uh, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. Uh, he makes this ta his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. And it's believed that what he's describing is a dinosaur. All right? Um, I didn't even put the name of it. They, they, there's speculation of which one it is. I'm not getting into all that. But again, that's what Job is, seems to be talking about. Later, in, verse, in chapter 41, he talks about the great Leviathan. Uh, in verse 1, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? He's kind of saying, hey, really? Are you going to do this to this monstrous beast? Uh, can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Go to verse 33. On earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. What is that? I don't know. Is it T-Rex? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but he's describing this enormous creature. Psalm 74, uh, Psalm 104, Isaiah 27 all talk about the great Leviathan. And there's so many questions that stir around that. Uh, where did they go? Their extinction? How did that happen? And, and what about Noah and the flood? Did, they, did he take dinosaurs? How could he fit a dinosaur on there? Well, he could, you know, I've always heard the theory, you, well, he could take baby dinosaurs on there. Yeah, he could. He could have taken them on there, and they could have grown up, and, and it's been proven that there's plenty of room to be able to, to house them there and, and do that. And many believe that they did become extinct after the flood because of the incredible change in the atmosphere and, and in this world. So you don't have to throw out your faith because you can't find a dinosaur in the Bible, okay? Think about it. 
astronomy. The Bible says a whole lot about the stars and the heavens. Uh, go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1:14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. God put them there with purpose that we might be able to go to the farmer, farmer's almanac and be able to find out what the weather's going to be like so we can plant our crops right, okay? The, the, the stars are there for us to be able to understand this world more and the days and the times and the seasons. Meteorology, the study of weather. Uh, did you know air has weight? I didn't know this. This was a new one on me. Air has weight. Job twenty-eight twenty-five. 25, uh, when he gave the winds its weight. And some people over the years have always, that's been one of the verses that they like to look at and go, that's <laughs> kind of funny, you know, like wind has weight. Like, who would ever believe that? Well, Isaac Beekman did back in 1618. He had this theory that everybody laughed at until several centuries later, scientists confirmed that there indeed is weight in wind. If you take a column of air from, the, from sea level to the top of the atmosphere that is only one square inch in cross-section, it weighs 14.7 pounds. Who knew? <laughs> God. Um, the Bible obviously speaks so much more about meteorology and the weather. One of those things is hydrology. That's one thing that um, uh, you hear about um, which is the idea that uh, water in the atmosphere falls as, as rain, snow, whatever, and nourishes the earth, flows through spring, uh, streams to, to bodies of water, lakes, oceans, wherever, and then, then evaporates back up into the atmosphere only to do the cycle again. That's hydrology. Job, again, going way back to that old book, verse uh, chapter 36, 27 following, says, "...for he draws up the drops of water." They distill his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? That was written a long time before anybody discovered anything about hydrology. But it's there. Ocean currents. Uh, Psalm 8, verse uh, 8 says this, The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. There's ocean currents, and nobody really understood that until uh, in the mid-1800s, they finally found that there are actual ocean currents. And once they found those, it totally changed the shipping industry. Uh, what was a 188-day journey from uh, New York to San Francisco, once they figured out, turned into an 89-day journey. Very lucrative discovery that the Bible talked about long before anybody discovered it. Biology. Uh, one of the great uh, biological uh, discoveries is the importance of blood. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, many uh, assumed, and this goes way back actually some several thousand years ago, it was believed that if somebody got sick, uh, it, it was because they had too much blood. And so there was bloodletting. Maybe you've heard of that. 
Um, and so they would drain out some of the blood. Maybe they would get rid of some of the sickness that was in the blood and, and so forth. And, and uh, matter of fact, I've, in my research, there's actually a resurgence of that right now. Give it a try, maybe. I don't, maybe not. But anyway, but it's in Leviticus 17, 11 where God tells us there, the writer says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. The life is in the blood. George Washington, our first president, it's believed that he died because they took out over or close to seven pints of his blood over a 24-hour period trying to get him healthy again. (laughs) And they bled him to death, basically, many believe. But the life is in the blood. Bible, again, talks about that. And that's only been really uh, in the scope of history in recent years, in the last century, that that's been really figured out. Geology, uh, the shape of the earth, Isaiah 40, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, okay? Uh, the book of Isaiah where this is stated was uh, probably somewhere uh, around 740 to uh, 680 B.C., uh, probably 300 years before Aristotle ever suggested that the world that we live in is a sphere. The Bible talked about it. It was written. It's there. See, and there's so much more of the Bible. You know, these are just some examples. I just want you to see that this, though it's not a science textbook, there is science in it, and it can be trusted. And it continues to be validated as we discover more. Science is always changing. Maybe you've seen that in the news. They discover one thing here, you know, back 20 years ago, and then 20 years later, oh, wait, well, we were wrong. (laughs) Oops. And they change the story. But the Bible is consistent, and the Bible continues to be proven right. Uh, A few other common... uh, topics of discussion when we get into talking about science and faith that I just want to hit on uh, real quick. Um, number one, of course, is, is evolution, okay? That's probably the one that everybody wants to run to and talk about and try to figure out. Um, for many in the world, uh, it is assumed. It's just assumed. Oh, well, yeah, we've figured it all out. Science has proven it, right? It's not, it's not theory. It's evolutionary fact, right? And so you have that, those over there, and then yet then you still have those who very strongly hold on to no, there's, there's no evidence. Let's, let's just take a moment just to talk about that. We, we could go back to the beginning, and we could talk about the Big Bang. I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. It's, um, to, me, to me, that's a common sense thing that Big Bang um, theory really speaks of um, out of nothing, something. And and it's, people a whole lot smarter than me had to try to figure out that that could happen, you know. And to me, that's common sense to say that can't. But that's where they, they go to. But let's talk about the age of the earth in this whole idea of evolutionary theory. Um, young earth versus old earth. Now, the Bible doesn't just come out right and say, okay, is then this year that God created everything, and then this many more years later, everything, you know, you're, you're, you know, it doesn't just come right out and say it, but 
The Bible is filled with information that I believe gives us a glimpse into what the age of the earth is, with genealogies that can be studied and understood. And, and as people study that and look at those genealogies, you might hear numbers from 13 to 14,000 years old, even as young as 6,000 years old. Somewhere in that range is the age of this earth. Does that mesh with what evolutionary scientists talk about today? Not even close. They, again, they speak in, in millions and billions of years terminology. Um, not young earth at all. At all. One of the processes uh, that they use in their dating is what's known as carbon-14 dating. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, for your students, you know, probably recently in classes you've heard about carbon-14 dating. It's the, it's the uh, measurement of carbon-14 that is released from uh, something that was once alive, something that was organic Okay, those are the things that release carbon-14. Okay? While they're alive, while we're alive, we're taking in carbon. Once we die, we begin to release carbon. Okay? And so uh, uh, scientists can, can measure uh, and discover how old something is by how much carbon is left. Okay? And it's, really, it's, it's a comparison between carbon-14 and carbon-12. Carbon-12 is, is stable, it stays, and carbon-14, you, know, you, know, you don't want to know all that stuff. But anyway... For them, for those who believe in evolutionary science, they have to get it to millions and billions of years. And so there's a lot of things that they have to overlook, such as carbon-14 dating is only accurate at a maximum of 100,000 years, okay, 100,000 years. Um, it's more like... 25,000 years, okay? They don't take into account what is uh, the, the original um, uh, carbon uh, uh, capacity, if you want to use that word, within that object, within that fossil, within that organic material. Uh, they, they have to make some leaps and bounds to figure that out. That's not always accurate. It's also making an assumption that whenever that creature died that the atmosphere at that time was the same as the atmosphere today, that the amount of carbon-14 in our atmosphere was the same as it was so many hundreds or thousands of years ago. And it's believed that at the time of the flood, it could have been significantly different because, and the reason that's important is whatever the carbon-14 was in the atmosphere would be the same as what would be in that life at that time. And so they, they don't take that into account. They make the assumption that it was always like it is today. And so those who, who uh, give it an honest look see those flaws and they have discovered really uh, carbon-14 dating shows that this is a young earth as young as potentially even 6,000 years. You see, uh, in a fossil that is believed to be millions of years old, there should be no carbon-14 even in it. It should have been depleted. The half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years. I've learned a lot the last couple weeks. Therefore, anything that's a million years old should have nothing left in it, but yet they continue to find it. 
Recently, they found a dinosaur uh, leg bone that still had soft tissue in it, and scientists refused to carbon date it. Wonder why. <clears throat> Age of the Earth, uh, young Earth, old Earth. I'm a, I'm a young Earth guy. I believe it's somewhere in the 6,000 range. Uh, call me crazy, but I think God created it. Uh, another thing, second law of thermodynamics. Again, we're talking about evolution. Um, evolution for Big Bang to work, we had to go from chaos, explosion, to order. Second law of thermodynamics says that everything has heat loss, everything deteriorates. Every, and I think you probably see that, okay? If you put bread on your counter, what happens to it? You know, it molds and fall, you know, falls apart. You know, that, that's life. That's how things work. That's, those are the laws. This is the second law of thermodynamics. Evolution, evolutionary theory goes directly against that, that everything out of chaos becomes order. Doesn't, doesn't work. It's overlooked. They make stories and things to say how it can work, but nevertheless, you cannot bring complexity out of less complexity. Um, here, here's an interesting one. Uh, vestigial structures. I'm going to run out of time. This is awesome. Uh, vestigial structures. That's a big word for basically that we all have uh, things in our bodies, some scientists say as many as 180 different things within our bodies that were evolutionary leftovers, okay, that our, our ancestors needed, but now we don't need them anymore. One of those was um, uh, the appendix, okay, you probably heard that one a lot, oh, you don't need it, just cut it out, you know, um, but they have now discovered that there's lymph material within the appendix, and, and I can get one of my doctor friends up here and actually tell us what that actually means, but I won't. Um, but they've, they continue to find these vestigial parts within bodies and say, well, they're not necessary, and yet... Doctors and scientists keep on finding out why they exist. One of those is uh, uh, not just in human bodies. Uh, well, let me, let me talk about one other one, because this one actually came up in our trip last week at Youth Quake. It's the, the coccyx, which is your tailbone. This is a favorite um, in discussions, because if you look at a baby uh, human embryo, in a little picture of it, and within its first few weeks, it looks like it has a tail. And so evolutionists, Look at that and go, huh, look, it's a little baby human with a tail. Wonder why he has a tail. Maybe because he used to be a primate that had a tail. Though when you, when Dr. Scientists um, just look further, what it is, is it is, the, it is the spinal cord that just comes down to a point before the pelvis and the legs then grow out of. It's, the spine was necessary to be there. It might look like a tail, but when it's all said and done, it's not. <laughs> it's your tailbone, which is very important. Have you ever fallen on your tailbone? Hurts. There's a lot of muscle that's attached to it. It's so necessary, so important for us to be able to stand upright. But again, they've tried to say that that is a, a leftover if you Google it, you'll find they'll show pictures of babies that were born with tails. Um, but if you research that, what you find is 
They are only fatty tissue. There's no bone structure within it. Another very interesting one uh, that I came across was uh, uh, whales, okay? Um, I believe it's the blue whale um, that has uh, pelvic bones. And you'll look at the skeleton, and here's a huge skeleton, and then down floating, seems to be, to be floating underneath the main skeleton are these little pelvic bones. For years... Uh, it's been assumed that those were leftovers, that they came from a deer-like animal that had legs, and, and then once it became an aquatic animal, um, it didn't need them anymore, and so they're just left floating there. Scientists, researchers, I guess, really from, I believe it's USC, uh, non-Christian, have discovered that those pelvic bones in the whale are very important for reproduction. <laughs> they need them, both male and female. They need them. There's muscle attached to them, and they are part of their being able to reproduce. And so, once again, these vestigial structures were proven to be very necessary, maybe just like God intended. The fossil records, uh, man, we could, we could spend a lot of time here, but I've got three minutes and 39 seconds. Awesome. Um, let me just say this. The fossil records contain no transitional fossils. For evolution to happen on a macro scale from species, from this species to this species, there has to be transitions, lots of transitions, and they don't exist. They, they, they've tried to come up with some. They've tried to, matter of fact, they've kind of fabricated some over the years. People assume that when they look at a picture of, of, of an ape all the way to a human and all, so many people assume, oh, they must have found all those guys. They haven't. It's speculation. It's theory. Transitions don't exist Charles Darwin even said this way back when he originally began to write about this. Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic change. And this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. Darwin himself said that. Evolutionists today, um, who are honest with themselves, even, even um, Richard Dawkins, okay, if you know that name, he is the most well-known atheist uh, evolutionary scientist out there right now. Um, even he says that the universe that we see, the world we see, looks like it has been designed and he says this, he says, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance, here it is, give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. The living results of natural selection overwhelmingly impress us with the appearance of design as if by a watchmaker. He sees it. But nevertheless, Dawkins uh, continues to be this staunch atheist. And he says this, this design is merely, the idea that this is designed is merely an illusion. Evolution cannot be proven. Think about it. 
man, I'd love to talk about the flood event. I've got, man, I've got three pages on flood event stuff. Uh, did it exist? Did it happen? Did Noah's flood really happen? People laugh at that today and say that was such a farce, such a big made-up story there in Genesis, Genesis 6 and 7. But if you look at the world, this globe, and you dig down, there are sediment layers that stretch for miles and miles and miles. There are coal seams that are hundreds of feet thick that run for miles. And the only way that happens if it is buried, if marshlands are buried quickly, like from a flood that moves vast amounts of sediment all over the world. One of those things uh, in the fossil record that so uh, speaks, I believe, uh, to the global flood uh, and against evolution, again, is the fossil records, and, and it's, uh, they're known as the polystrate fossils. And it's this idea, if you look at the sediment layers within the fossils, uh, evolutionists want to say, okay, here's the Cambrian layer and the post-Cambrian, you know, here's, here's millions of years and so many more, less millions, millions, and they go through all the different layers of sediment. Fossils, 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 and, and sometimes there's circular reasoning in there. Okay, we know this fossil's this old because this rock is this old. Well, how do you know that rock is this old? Because that fossil's that old, okay? We, we just know that they... But so you have all these sediments representing millions and millions, if not billions of years. And then there is a fossil of a tree that goes through all of them. Now, if you're not following me, okay... That can't happen, okay? That can't happen over millions of years, okay? A tree didn't just keep growing for millions of years while all the sediments around it kept on going. No, it all got buried at the same time. Polystrate fossils blow a hole in evolution and speak to a global flood that quickly buried everything. That's how fossils form. Fossils don't just form over time. You know, throw a fish out on the ground and watch it fossilize. Doesn't happen. It rots, goes away. But if it's buried quickly under great pressure, it fossilizes. Meaning, something happened that suddenly killed all these things that we now see as fossils. And there are vast graveyards filled with fossils of all kinds of animals and organic materials from all kinds of places, like the flood was a swirling mess and just dumped it and deposited it along places where it was buried and quickly became entombed where it would fossilize for us today to be able to look at and discover more about what God did in this world in the past global flood happened. And we can look at this world and we can see that. that. Man, there's the anthropic principle, the idea that this universe, this world, everything was created for us. If you change one little element, the sun, you change the color of the sun, a little bit more yellow or a little bit more blue, then photosynthesis wouldn't work. It's just right. Protons, neutrons, electrical charges, change one just itty bitty amount. Life's not possible. How'd that happen? By chance. No, God. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. 
I like what one guy says, said, when God said subdue it, I think a part of that is science. Figure it out. Go discover this world. Understand this world. But you've got to start with, with the right premise. God created. Most scientists today start with the wrong premise. There is no God. So let's figure out a different way. Thomas Nagel, one of those scientists, atheists, he says this, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. If that's how you begin your studies and if that's the premise you build everything on, you're not going to find truth. We live in a world, we live in a culture now that people have lost their value because we're all here by chance. Maybe that's why depression is so high, suicides are so high, because people have lost purpose. People have lost the understanding that we are special. We are made by God, created by God who loves us. You are special. And that God wants to be in relationship with us. Romans 1.20 says this, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the, in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. He says, hey, he says God has made, made Himself known. Look in this world. Look in this universe. Look up at the stars that scream out that God, a God is there and He's created them for us. Don't lose sight of that because somebody has told you that you are only here by chance. Remember that word science talks about knowledge, the search for knowledge. And I hope that every one of us will continue that search. Search for the knowledge of who God is, that God who loves us God desires to walk with us. Just think about it. Father in heaven, God, we thank you that there's so much evidence in this world of you and your work, your creative work and your sustaining work. And God, there's so much evidence of your love, your desire to to be in this relationship with us, we are so humbled, God, that you being the God of the universe care so much for us that you would give your son for us. God, we thank you for the historical information that gives us that truth. We thank you for your word that gives us that truth. We thank you for the evidences that you lay out for us that help us have confidence in what we believe God, I pray that your message today would cause some to think, to, to investigate, 
maybe even find you. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.